My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. So, hey, welcome back uh, to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Um, hey, last week, I was uh, absolutely thrilled to have Ben Baldanza, the, uh, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines and current podcaster. Um, he is the host of uh, Airlines Confidential Podcast. And uh, as, as many of you know, Ben is such a charismatic guy. And before we started recording, we were talking and the conversation got so good, I didn't even bother to say, hey, Ben, let me introduce you. So uh, we just kind of jumped right into it. Anyway, I am uh, absolutely thrilled to have this podcast with Ben on. It's a uh, full of information and a great time to boot. Uh, ben is a fantastic guest. His podcast is awesome. So I hope you enjoyed this, uh, the episode. I hope you enjoy, I should say, this episode of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. The bottom of this pyramid is sort of real price discretionary leisure traffic, but it's a lot, lot of people, but they don't fly that often. And then as you get toward the top of the pyramid, there's the people who really pay a lot of money to fly, and there's just not as many of them, right? right? And you could divide that that pyramid or that triangle in a lot of different ways. I think a convenient way for this discussion to divide it is at the lower third sort of, or maybe lower 40% or so um, would be sort of all the people who just want to pay basically a lower price and are willing to, willing to fly spirit or willing to fly at an off time or willing to go to Fort Lauderdale if they're really going to Miami, right? Or something like, <laughs> something like that, right? <laughs> right. And then paying a little more than that, but acting a lot like them in terms of their price sensitivity are is a whole big group of small business travelers, are yep. people who were traveling for business. Now, when we surveyed our customers at Spirit, we did this twice a year regularly you might be shocked to know that over 30% of our customers said they were on our planes for a business intent. Oh, sure. Now there's no way, now there's no way they worked for a company that paid for their travel. They never would have picked spirit. Right. <laughs> but they were, you know, guy ran a t-shirt shop in Atlanta Absolutely. and the guy who makes his t-shirts in the Dominican Republic. And once or twice a year, he'd go down and visit the, the shop. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's that kind of travel. Yep. And that kind of travel is where Southwest excels. They're excellent at that. It's a big piece of what they carry. And if you think about it, Southwest is real flexible, real high frequency in and among big cities, mm-hmm. right? Really reliable. They're perfect for that kind of travel. Pretty low fares, not right. as low as they used to be, right? But, 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 but. <laughs> They're not not ULCC or LCC anymore. And then at the top of that pyramid, you have what I think of as real corporate business travel. People whose company is paying for their travel. And that's what American United Delta all fight for, right? Right. They all have built their businesses to get that. Mm -hmm. So here's what I think is going to happen. I'm getting to your question, what are the airlines going to look like in 2022? (laughs) I promise you, I'm I'm getting there. So what I really think is going to happen is the top part of that pyramid, there's somewhere between 20 and 30% of that that's never coming back. Yeah. 
Never. And I say never because the risk proposition has changed. 25% of that travel is intra-company travel, meaning people just going to see someone else in their own company, yep. not even seeing an outside client, right? A lot of that's going to go to the way we're talking right now, right? I've got a friend who lives in New York who said to me, you know, Ben, I used to go to London for one meeting. I'm never going to do that again. He said, I'll go to London for three meetings. But if it's one meeting, I'll just get on Microsoft Teams and do it, right? And yeah. so if you think about all the reasons people travel, somewhere between 20 and 30% is, is going away. And so what are American United and Delta going to do? They're going to go to that next level and go after Southwest traffic, the small mm -hmm. business traffic. They have to. We've already seen that start when United canceled change fees. United's cancellations of change fees was all about telling Southwest we're not going to give you this flexibility advantage everywhere anymore. Mm -hmm. You're big in Chicago where we have a hub. You're big in San Francisco where we have a hub. You're big in Houston where we have a hub. You're big in Denver where we have a hub, right? right. But we need your traffic now because our businesses aren't all coming back. So what Southwest going to do, they're going to have to figure out how to get a little more efficient, maybe cut some of their frequencies a bit and carry more leisure. So every airline, is going to have to figure out how they live without as much high paying business travel as they used to have. So for an airline like Spirit or even a JetBlue who don't carry any corporate business travel, they're going to be okay because they know how to make money without business travel. Right. But Southwest is going to be in trouble because the big guys are going to be going after their traffic. And the big guys are going to be in trouble because their cost structure is way too high to live on just leisure travel. Well, I look at United. A long know, diatribe, but. Yeah, no, look, you're right. I mean, United, you, know, you, you look at it like United, you know, they got their big MRO out in San Francisco. You know, wow, what a, you know, it's a expensive place to have an MRO and an engine shop. Uh, yeah, you, got a, right. you, you got American with, uh, you know, uh, you know, Couple thousand union mechanics up in Tulsa. You know that's that's not small overhead. Then I look at Spirit and you go, well, wait a minute. You outsource all your you, know, you you pretty much did your online maintenance, but you outsourced everything else. Everyone in the airport's outsourced. Um, you know, it was you know one airplane, the A three twenty, good airplane. You light loaded you light loaded them with fuel. You you carried enough to to make the trip, and plus your forty five minute whatever the IFR reserves reserves are for. That's kind of what I, I was saying was that, look, everybody's got to learn how to become a, a low cost carrier. Yeah, that's right. You know, Lower yeah. cost at least. And, you know, what I found, Craig, in working in this business for a long time is it's amazing how much that, that endless search for corporate business travel affects every line of your P&L. Let me give you, let me give you a real simple example. If, if, if I'm American, for example, and I charge bag fees to some people, but I don't charge them to other people. You buy a certain type of fare, I don't charge you. You're a certain level of my frequent flyer program, I don't mm -hmm. charge you. Think about what that means. That means that at every counter, they have to have an IT system as part of their check-in mm -hmm. that for some customers, won't print the bag tag without verification of payment, but for other customers will do it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to train an agent to know who pays and who doesn't. Right. 
And so just that one little tiny decision changes your IT at your airports, changes your airport training, just that one decision. You go to Spirit, everybody pays for the bag, doesn't print the bag tag without the verification of payment, you're done, boom, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to worry, oh, Mr. Picking comes up, he doesn't pay, Mr. Balanza comes up, screw him, charge him, right? You don't have to worry, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. And whenever there's an ability to do something free, there's always leakage too. I can promise you, Dozens of times a day, there's an there's an agent at American Airlines that mm-hmm. says, "Mr. Pickett, I'm sorry, our, our our system's kind of down. I can't take a credit card. Your bag's twenty five bucks. Can you do you have the cash?" And they say, "Sure." And that agent puts the thing in their bag pocket and prints the bag tag. <laughs> that happens all the time, and yeah. Doug Parker knows that, right? But it's two small potatoes in total to say. Right. They, that's my biggest problem to go deal with, right? And so that's just one little tiny issue, your bag policy. Now look at the way you configure your airplanes. Look at how many ticket counters you have at every airport. Look at how many flights per day you get on every gate. Look how much real estate you're, you're doing. Look at how many training cycles your pilots have to go through because you have different airplane types. Look mm-hmm. at how many different spare parts you have to have because you have different airplanes, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, It's amazing that... And but I need different airplanes because I need to fly to little cities and I can't fly a big plane. I need to fly to Asia and Europe and I need big wide bodies, right? So you complicate your your airline in order to serve this business travel, and it and you can't be a low cost carrier, right? Well, just look, just the Admirals Club alone. I mean, look, uh, (laughs) yeah, come on. I love the Admirals Club. Uh, I I, I love the Admirals Club, but yeah, I get. Yeah, for what they charge me for the Admirals Club, uh, yeah, they lose money on me. You know, well, you, well, you know, Bill Frankie, who is the who's the head of Indigo Partners, that was the owner of Spirit until we went public, and now they own Frontier. Bill Frankie has a great statement. He, you know, he's made a living investing in airlines like Spirit, and he said, you know, I'd never actually want to fly on an airline that I'd be willing to invest in. <laughs> His point is, you know, these are the carriers that actually make the most money aren't necessarily the ones that you want to you want to say, that's the carrier I really want to fly. Like, I'd rather be in business class on Emirates than on Spirit any day. Right? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's, the, but, but, you know, like why, you know, why Delta has their, uh, yeah, Delta has their, their crown club and American has their club. You know, you're got, like, guys, you're offline at the same airport, you know. You know, if you need, if you feel like you need to have it, contract it out to American Express and let uh, let them take care of it. And you know, we, we we never ran any TV ads at Spirit for obvious reasons, but we used to joke that if we ever ran a TV ad, what we'd have is sort of a split screen, and you'd have sort of an American United or Delta customer on one side and a Spirit side customer on the other side. Mm-hmm. And you'd see how much they paid for their ticket. And you'd see the person on the American United Delta sitting in a really comfortable seat, getting served a, a Coke and maybe a meal, the spirit person getting nothing, do nothing. But then the last view is they get off the airplane at opposite gates in the exact same airport. And yeah. one's got a lot of money in their pocket and the other one's broke. <laughs> Bingo. Uh, what, so what does all this do? So, so okay, we know that everybody, we, everybody's got to adjust their business model downward or, or adjust it. Um, yeah, some way, shape, or form. So, how does this affect you know? So now you've got AAR, you've got MRO Holdings, you've got a lot of third-party maintenance providers. You had 
a lot of wide body work actually going to China for heavy checks. Yeah, you're right. Um, now that now I got to think that now that the airlines have taken what thirty billion dollars from the government, that China MRO work is going to be scrutinized a little bit. So now we got to think about that. How does uh, how does uh, maintenance, no, engine a, trading, leasing? How does all this? Couple of things there. I think number one is you know narrow bodies have always outsold wide bodies five or six to one, right? Most Absolutely. Uh, always. But I think that ratio is going to get worse. I, I, I think, I think more, I think more flying, more long haul flying is going to be done with planes like the 321 LR. You're going to, you know, JetBlue flying to London is going to be with the same plane they fly to LA. And if it doesn't work, they'll just fly more to LA. Right. I mean, it's like, they're not going to, they're not going to mess things up by bringing a wide body in. And Correct. if they can't reach Rome, they'll never fly to Rome. Right. And, and so, um, so I think the, the, the long haul wide body travel needs the corporate business traveler more than the short haul travel to work. If that travel is really challenged over the next 10 years to some extent, there's still going to be plenty of that travel. But if it's if it's if it's downtown, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see the airlines that depend on wide bodies having fewer wide bodies as a percentage of their whole fleet. That means if you're in the business of maintaining wide bodies, you're going to your your business is going to slow down. Now, on the other hand, companies like AAR and MAR and MRO Holdings and companies like that can do work more efficiently than many airlines do themselves. So as airlines think about how do we lower our costs, they could win business by getting business that they, they, they used to not have access to because the airline's own union shops did it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what's going to happen overall. The volume of flying is going to be down, I think, not as much in 2021 as 2020, but still down. Right. And, you know, the the world industry, when is the world industry going to be flying a level of departure seats, whatever, as it did before the pandemic? That's going to happen at some point, but Mm -hmm. that could be years off. So what's going to happen before that volume all returns is will some airlines shift work to third parties that could be good for third parties mm-hmm. and everyone airline and mro is just going to have less wide body work to do do you know union contracts united union american heavy union delta not so much does united and american do they need to spin out Certain, you know, like United did back 20 some years ago when they tried to create TED. Right. Do they need to split out a separate a separate company? Well, to- they may or they may have to um, or they may have to do it more aggressively. I uh, I think it's still possible. I don't I'm not betting. I'm not saying this is more than 50 percent, but I think it's still possible that American files for bankruptcy protection in April or May. And the reason I say April or May is we'll know who's right among between the two of us about the summer by May, right? <laughs> in, in May, in May, you'll be able to look at bookings and say, look, it's going to be a real robust summer or it's not. So you just so so 
I'm a little more optimistic, just so everybody watching this knows, I'm a little more optimistic than you are as far as, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that the $2 trillion in everybody's pocket decides to go to Disneyland in, in April, May, and June. <laughs> You're a little less you're a little less optimistic. So uh, well, you know, it's it's just the reality of the vaccine rollout and such. Again, I hope you're right about this, Craig. But the um, but so the reason I think American may have to file is if they're looking in April and May at a weak summer and yeah. they're looking at their cash burn and they can't realistically see how they're gonna become cash positive again they may think I need to protect the strong liquidity I have now and then use the tools that bankruptcy gives an airline to maybe be more aggressive in the fleet or maybe more aggressive with labor. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean become Frank Lorenzo. I'm not talking about that. Right, right, yeah, yeah. But it certainly changes the dynamic in a discussion mm -hmm. is, hey, one way this company can survive is if we can outsource some of this work and then maybe there's a way they can bring that in then. You know, we're, we're talking extreme situations, obviously, to make that happen. But if it gets that, if, it, if the demand stays that weak for so long and if yeah. the quarantines stay on and things like that, I think those are the kind of airlines that are might have to make those kind of changes. Again, the airlines that aren't American United Delta Southwest are in just a better position because they they don't have the wide bodies. They're not mm -hmm. burdened by that. They they none of them depend on corporate business travel for their businesses today. Mm -hmm. They have lower costs in the first place so they get back to cash break even sooner. So it's not easy for any airline, but that's the group that's going to emerge the quickest. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I mean, American has got, you know, just look at their balance sheet. They got a lot of debt. I mean, $50 billion is a lot of money to pay back. Even at, even at you know, look, let's just say people give them, you know, uh, you know the, the best credit rating ever. At, and you're, you're looking at investment grade interest rates of, you know, two and a half percent. That's still a lot of money every month. Uh, and they're not getting that. So um yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Where are, all right? So we know everybody's restructuring. Where are the opportunities for you know? I think there's opportunities in cabin reconfigurations. I mean, you know, wide you know, narrow bodies are going to have to be reconfigured, especially if you're taking Max tens or A three twenty one LRs from New York to London or whatever else. Yeah, that, that creates a whole new cabin class. Or you may start take out your first class and put in some sort of, you know, economy premium to meet the needs. You know, pilot training. Um, you know, a lot of pilots got cut. They got to come back. Where do you see the opportunities? I, I think you're right. I think there are opportunities. I think you're right on the cabin side. You know, I... Um, I've been hosting a podcast for the last year, Airlines Confidential. Hope you don't mind that I plug that a bit. No, I don't. <laughs> Not at all. One of our listeners made a real, you know, um, interesting statement that was right on. They said, you know, a year before the pandemic, we were talking about planes without pilots. Now we're talking about pilots without planes. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was interesting. So I, I think you're right about that. I think there's technology opportunity to be able to do more self-service with customers, use technology mm -hmm. that might require fewer people, technology that makes people feel safer in terms of not having to have as many interactions with, mm -hmm. with employees, technology that helps people manage their travel a little better. So I think there's, there's technology opportunity. 
I think there's um, I think there's new nonstop flying ability, and you've seen a lot of airlines take advantage of this. You've seen Delta, I mean, you've seen United overfly its hubs to fly more flights into Florida. You know, today Florida's more open than New York, so everybody's flying more to Florida than New York. And uh, you know, a hotel can't move, right? But planes can move. So finding where the demand is learning real time where people are comfortable flying and where they're not yet mm -hmm. allows airlines to be real flexible in their schedule. And I think there's opportunity for airlines to not necessarily think, well, we always connect in Dallas or we always connect in Atlanta. Well, no, you got an airplane that can fly from any airport to any airport. So where are people really going and who's going to get there first? And so I think there's opportunity in schedule design I think there's opportunity in loyalty. You know, loyalty programs have all just kind of said, well, if you were high in our programs, we're going to keep you high in our programs because we don't know what's going on, right? Right. But at some point, they got to think about what's the role of those loyalty programs. If individuals aren't traveling as much anymore, but they're still traveling, does the loyalty program say you're not valuable to us anymore? Or do they rethink what? what is the source of value now and what do we think of value today that might be different than we thought in 2018. So right. I think there's opportunity in all those things. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.